Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. My name is Ben Schneider. I'm the worship pastor here at the Harbor, and I get the awesome opportunity um, and honor to bring the Word of God tonight. And are you excited to hear from the Word of God tonight? Man, I get excited when, when, when I start talking about Jesus I say this almost every single time, and if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say it. Man, I I, uh, spent part of my life down in the South, and I believe totally wholeheartedly that church can be fun. We're not the church of the frozen chosen. Okay, man, we can laugh. We can have fun. We can pray for the New York Giants in Jesus' name. We can do all kinds of things uh, in church. So if you hear something you like, you can say, preach, white boy, preach. You can say, come on, somebody. You can grab your neighbor and shake them. Um, You can grab your neighbor and hug them if it's that person that you're trying to get out of the friend zone. That's your opportunity. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Um, But man, we're so excited that you're here. And we are in week two of our Compassion series. How many people were here last uh, Tuesday for uh, Pastor Jordan Durso? Can we give it up for him? He was incredible. Man, that was so awesome. Um, I am not going to come into the crowd and walk through you tonight. So uh, have no fear. We're going to keep it up here. Man, bars. I'm just rhyming. I'm feeling it tonight. Um, but, uh, but hey, we're in week two of our Compassion series. And, um, man, we, we've been talking about God's heart um, for people. We've been talking about our heart for others. Um, but tonight I've simply entitled this talk, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, Compassion and the Heart of God. Compassion and the Heart of God. Somebody say Compassion and the Heart of God. Um, Oh, okay, and that's cool too. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 23, um, and uh, we're going to look into to something really interesting tonight. I think when we talk about compassion, a lot of the times, um, at least for me, I think about compassion toward others. I think about um, filling a need, but tonight I want to talk about something a little bit different. Tonight I want to talk about the heart of our God. How many people know that we serve a God who's more compassionate than the most compassionate person? That his heart is for people in such a way that if we just caught a glimpse of it, man, it can wreck your life. As somebody who's been personally wrecked by the compassion of God, man, God has a compassionate heart towards you. God has a caring heart towards you. God has a loving heart towards you. And it's one thing to hear that. And it's another thing to like see that on a greeting card. But man, when that becomes real to you, that sort of changes everything in your life. It changes the way that you trust Jesus. It changes the way that you pray. It changes the way that you come to church. Man, when we know God's compassionate heart towards us, it really changes us. Come on, are you with me tonight? Awesome. Hey, but before we jump in, do you mind just bowing your heads with me and we'll just pray? Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you so much for these incredible people. Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in our church and in churches all over the island. Lord, I just pray um, for the person who's been coming here for a long time or for the person who it's their very first time. Lord, we know that you are for people, God, and we just thank you that when we step in your presence and when we lean in, God, um, we leave, God, with life and encouragement and vision and hope and joy. God, so we just lay down everything else, God. I pray I would move out of the way, and Holy Spirit, you would speak directly to each and every one of us because we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen. Compassion and the heart of God. I think we live in a generation now more than ever where we really see compassion 
and social justice are, are super important, at least to my generation. That seems to be one of the themes. Um, if you ever get on Instagram or Facebook, man, there, there's a GoFundMe for everything, okay? There, there's a GoFundMe for, for, uh, for if you're moving from house to house, or there's a GoFundMe for, like, feeding kids in Africa. And I think that we do a really good job um, in our generation um, a, a in making social justice such a priority. Um, but, but tonight, uh, I want to talk about something a little bit different because we think about compassion a lot. Of, a lot of times we link it immediately to social justice, but um, uh, one of the premises of this talk um, is, is there's a danger sometimes when we separate social justice from spiritual justice. See, th there is a difference between social compassion or earthly compassion and spiritual compassion. And while one is good, while earthly compassion is awesome and social justice is incredible, when we put it out of order, when we put it outside of the flow of the heart of God, what can happen um, is earthly compassion becomes based on what others aren't doing. But godly compassion comes from a place of what is God doing? What is God doing in the earth? And see, I think what's so awesome is when you, um, when, when you put God first, um, something changes. Because when you exalt social justice above spiritual justice, you're left with self-righteousness. And what I mean by that is um, when, we, when we make life all about, okay, what are the good things that I can do um, just, to, just to serve other people? But, but, but the, the premise is like, okay, we have to do these good things because it will validate me as a good person. And the danger um, with that is we start saying, you know what, God, I'm doing good. I mean, I've been, I've been giving. I, I feel like I'm a good person. And we start to validate um, our standing with God based on what we do rather than who he is. And, man, there's something powerful uh, about exalting spiritual justice because the reality of the gospel is this. The reality of the gospel is it's predicated on nothing that we can do but on a God who loved us first. The Bible said one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 5.8. It says, while we were still sinners, what that means is while on our worst day, when we weren't thinking of God, and why I think this is important is I've had so many conversations with people who are like, man, Ben, I can't come to church because if you only knew the life that I live or if you only knew the decisions that I made. And, and, and in my mind, I'm like, bro, if I'm able to stand up here and hold a microphone and not catch on fire, there's a place for you in the kingdom of God. Because the gospel is not predicated on our goodness, but it's predicated on the goodness of a God who sent his only son to stand in the gap and take the payment of our sin so he could say, hey, I love you. You're validated by the love of God. You're validated by his goodness. And here's the amazing thing is when you put spiritual justice at the forefront, you begin to operate from God's compassionate heart toward others, and you live an anointed life of social justice based on supernatural generosity. When you put yourself into the flow of God and you stop trying to validate yourself by the good things that you do, then all of a sudden you live in the freedom of his grace and you start seeing people the way that God sees people. You start loving people the way that God loves people. You start giving, not based out of an abundance, but out of a need, because then you see God as your provider and you start seeing the supernatural things in your life. Man, there's something supernatural about a church that lives from a place of spiritual justice. That lives from a place of knowing, oh no, I know who I belong to. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. It's like watching a kid who has a dysfunctional uh, family life. and Maybe you've grown up in that environment and everything you do, you're trying to prove to that father or that mother that you're good enough. And that's a miserable way to live. And maybe you've lived in that environment and you know that there's nothing good enough. But man, we live 
we live with a God who says, hey, I loved you first. I love you on your worst day. I love you on your best day. Man, you could take a deep breath when it comes to God. And I think, I wonder when we think of God, at least for me, if I'm going to be honest, when we think of God, do we think, is, is the first thing we think about, do we think about compassion? Like not just like a teaching or, yeah, we're in the compassion series, but when we think about God personally, outside of a church experience or outside of everybody else lifting their hands or singing, um, do we think about God toward us as compassionate? Do we see him as a good shepherd or do we see him as a drill sergeant? Do we see him as a, as a good father that we can run to and we can share things with? Or do we see him as the God who sees fun and is like, oh, that is too fun. No. But if we're to be honest, do we see God as good? That was a good kick right there, by the way. I don't know if y'all saw that. But um, I'll, okay, thank you, Doc. Um, do we see God as compassionate? You know, um, Oxford defines compassion as this, a strong feeling of sympathy for people who are suffering, and a desire to help them. When we look at God, do we see him this way, that he has a strong feeling of sympathy in our suffering? And does he really have a desire to help us? The amazing thing about God is um, when we look in the Bible, um, if we want to know anything about God, we can look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was God in human flesh. Jesus represented exactly who God was. And this is the amazing thing. This, and this is why, man, I love Jesus. Because there was nobody more compassionate than Jesus. There was nobody who associated himself more with the marginalized. More with the hurting. More with the broken. This is how much it was. It was to the point where the church people, where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who had it all together would look at him and say, man, why is Jesus spending time with those people? Man, Jesus put himself with the people who were hurting and who were broken. Jesus didn't look at the hurting and broken and say, man, once you clean yourself up and once you make good decisions, then you can walk with me. But, man, how often do we think like that? Man, once I clean this up and once I work this out, man, then I can talk to Jesus. Then I can have a conversation. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus didn't look for the broken to come to him. He came to them. There wasn't a church of Jesus where he sat there and said, let them come, like a holy picture. That's in my head, at least. Jesus was the, Jesus was the guy who said, hey, we're actually going to go outside. I, I want to go to these people, man. There was nobody more compassionate than Jesus, and there's nothing like the compassion of God. Um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible uh, is Psalm 23. And uh, maybe you've heard that before, maybe you've never heard that before, but it's a super famous um, scripture. And why I love it is because the writer is one of my favorite people, and this is King David. And um, maybe you grew up in church and you heard of David and Goliath. He's the kid who slayed the giant. He's the, he's the most um, notorious king um, in Israel. Like, God used him in so many, like, mighty ways. But David was also a very, he was a musician, so he was like a creative emo guy. And that's why I love David, because David was sensitive. David was emotional. And see, Psalm, a lot of the Psalms, they, what they were is it wasn't David thinking, oh, churches in America are going to read this. This was his prayer journal. Like, I'm sure if David walked in right now, he'd be like, why are y'all reading this? <laughs> but th this was David's, like, raw and emotional conversations with God. So we're, we're looking into a really real depiction of David's 
relationship with God. And this is actually one of his most famous writings. And you would think if you look at David uh, as king that it would be this magnificent, powerful, like crazy, like victorious psalm. But he actually describes God as a shepherd. When David sits down, he says, I want to write about the heart of God. He, he starts writing from a place of viewing God as a shepherd. And why that's important is because da- before David was ever king, David was a shepherd. And David found God in the shepherd's field. See, I think sometimes in church we think, man, once I get that promise, once I get that career, once I get that ministry, or once I get that um, uh, spouse or, or next season of life, man, then I'm going to really see God and see the promises of God, and I'm going to know God in a deep way. But David met God in a deep way in the shepherd's field, in the forgotten place, in the hidden place. Man, if you're in a hidden place tonight, I want to encourage you. Man, you might be there because God's saying, I can only show myself to you as father and shepherd in this season. Man, David found God in the shepherd's field, and he begins to write this way. He begins to outline two different places, and tonight, I'm I'm not going to speak too long, but I want to talk about two different locations that David writes about. And I think um, if we could be honest in this place, um, we can identify with either both of these or one of these. And, uh, and it's, it's super awesome. So David takes us into two different places in the Psalms. And I believe that um, no, matter, no matter if you've read this Psalm before or, or maybe you, you've heard these things, I think um, what, what David's saying is more than just a surface level. So Psalm 23, uh, verse 1, I want to start here. Are you guys with me? Cool, cool, cool. Okay, verse 1. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I'm going to read that one more time. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I think it's interesting that the very first place David takes us is the pasture. Why that's interesting to me is David is starting this beautiful psalm, and he's writing it to show people, hey, this is who God is. And the very first place he takes us, he says, hey, do you want to know who the nature of God is? Do you want to really know about this God that I know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. He says, okay, this is who he is. He's a shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. Why I think that's interesting is I think so many times we think when it comes to God that the very first thing he would say to us if we could hear him is, hey, you need to serve more. You need to give more. You need to do more. I think sometimes we can look at God as a drill sergeant and we don't come running to him because we think that we see him as a list of chores and rules. But this David, and man, David was not a perfect guy. David dealt with so many things. But he said the very first thing when it comes to God, if you really want to know the nature, if you really want to know the character of God, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God who made, uh, who made the oceans, who said let there be light, this massive God that we can have relationship with, you ready for the first incredible thing he wants to do in your life? He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads us besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. And I think if we're honest, man, uh, at least for me, man, I'm really bad at pastures. I'm really bad at resting. 
You know, a lot of the times my knee-jerk reaction, especially in this culture, in this generation where, where um, everything that's encouraged um, is the hustle and the grind, and, and you got to keep going, you got to blow past people, and hey, this isn't a message to, when we talk about resting or when we talk about the pastures of God or even waiting on God, sometimes I think we translate that as, okay, that means I just have to sit here and just wait and do nothing. But, but a lot of the times, resting isn't talking about the position of your body, it's talking about the position of your soul. It's talking about resting in the promises of God in the middle of everything. It's, talk, it's not saying, hey, stop being faithful or stop serving or stop doing these things. But what David is saying is you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. You need to be led by the good shepherd. And he says, hey, the first thing you need to do is rest. And, man, that's so hard for me to understand. How many people in this place, you have kids in this place. Can I just see a show of hands? Man, y'all are awesome. You're here on a Tuesday night. Man, you people are incredible. Um, but, uh, you know, how many people know that st- there comes a point with kids, and I grew up in a family of six kids, um, and, and at night it was always mayhem, but then the kids start to wind down. Um, but there comes a point with kids where they go from tired to overtired. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, they're overtired right now. Help me, please. Pray for me. We have a prayer team in the back. Um, but, 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 you know what, uh, Scott and Faith, Pastor Scott and Faith, man, they're uh, some of my closest friends. And, uh, man, I absolutely, they've got these three kids. They've got a fourth on the, on the way. I absolutely love these kids. And why I love them is because I'm the fun Uncle Ben. Like, I'm the crazy fun Uncle Ben. So what I'll do is I'll come over to the house. Man, I'll bring candy. I'll bring treats. I'll bring all this stuff. I'll come at 7 o'clock. And I come, and they're like, Uncle Ben. And I'm like, man, I've got all this stuff for you. I roll around with them. I play with them, and it's super fun. And then there comes a point where the sugar starts to kick in, and the brain starts to shut off. And they go from little angels to little something else, okay? Scott's not here. It doesn't matter. I can talk about his kids. Um. But, but something changes in that moment. They get so overtired. And then there comes a point in the night where faith says, okay, it's time for me to put them down. And, and, and the funny thing is the kids, man, they have this, such this, this fear of missing out that they freak out when they have to go to bed. Because they, they're picturing us like having the time of our life while, while they're going to bed. But they freak out and they want to stay awake. But, but the, a good parent that faith is, she has to go and she has to force them to sleep. And because she knows that though they want to stay up, though they want to keep going, she knows that an overtired child is not going to be able to function the following day. And I think the truth of the matter, so many times as believers, man, we want to go and we want to go, but man, an overtired Christian cannot function in their calling. An overtired Christian can't function in their destiny. There comes a point in certain times, man, man, there's a scripture in the Bible where the Bible says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Because what happens in the, in the resting and the waiting, we, we, are, we are surrendering our will. And we're saying, God, I give you control. What, Dave, what this whole part is predicated on is David says, the Lord is my shepherd. When he submits to resting to God, he's saying, you are the shepherd, and you can take care of it, and you can do it. I think so many times we exhaust ourselves, whether that's serving or whether that's doing, or maybe that's trying to force something that you feel like should be God, but you don't have a peace from God, and it's just getting more and more exhausting. And God's saying, hey, I haven't called you to try to bucket out of the river. I just called you to rest by it. I've called you to rest in my promises. There's something anointing 
There's something anointed about sitting down and saying, God, you can do it better. The last portion of scripture in that passage is he says, Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me besides still, uh, still waters. And then he ends with this, he restores my soul. I think it's interesting that the only thing that David says restores his soul is rest. The only thing that heals his heart is rest. I shared this story before, but um, I remember when I, I went down to Bible college, um, there was a time and uh, where, where man, I was so, uh, like, God totally changed my life. And, and, and I shared this before, but I went down there one way. I had a real legitimate encounter with God, and, man, I just got so messed up. And I was like, man, God is awesome. He's real. He loves me. I was so passionate about God. And we used to have these Tuesday night experiences. And um, they were incredible because it was all the student body. It was a couple thousand kids. And, man, they were just worshiping, and it was passionate. And then after Tuesday night, all the college students would go out to eat. And that was, like, the most awesome time to go out because, man, that's where all the single girls were who loved Jesus. That was where all my friends were who loved Jesus. I was like, man, I'm hitting up Applebee's with my limited college budget with all these people who love Jesus, okay? So, man, I was so excited about Tuesday night, but, man, I was excited about after Tuesday night. Come on, single people in the house. And so, I was so into that, but I, but I remember one Tuesday night, um, I finished the service, and I just felt this still small voice from the Holy Spirit, and I just felt this voice say, hey, um, they, we had a 24-hour prayer room on campus, and I felt like God just say, hey, I want you to go to the prayer room, and I was like, devil, get behind me. You don't belong here. I, I don't, and at this point, I really didn't know. I was trying to discern what the voice of God was, so I was looking for any excuse, but God just said, nope, nope, Ben, I, I've actually called you. I want you to just spend some time with me, and in my mind, I was like, God, but I'm missing out on all of these things, and God was saying, hey, do you want me to build your house? Do you want me to build your calling? Do you trust me with your future? Do you trust me with all that's ahead of you? If you will put me first, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is, man, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. It doesn't say some of these things. It doesn't say part of these things. It's either true or it's not. And there comes a moment in your life when God's saying, hey, if you give me your everything, I will give you my everything. David said there's something powerful about saying, God, you're not a part-time shepherd. You're not an American gospel, I'm going to just come to church and let you influence me, shepherd. But when I make you my entire life, when I say that you're the shepherd, man, I can rest even if I'm not supposed to because it's your responsibility to take care of me. Man, ooh, okay, I will then. Man, there's something awesome about resting in the promises of God. There's something disrespectful to the devil when you rest in his promises when he's trying to keep you up with anxiety. There's something disrespectful to the darkness that comes against you when, when, when you pull up a scripture verse. Man, I used to write these scripture verses on these little flashcards. And when I was parking cars in Dallas, man, I, I had such a bad memory. But I was like, man, I'm going to memorize two scriptures. And so I just wrote Romans 5.8 on one side on the other side. But God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And put it on the other side. And I kept doing that over and over again because I realized, man, I don't just need this word on the outside. I need this word on the inside if it's going to change me. There's something powerful about saying, Jesus, you, you are the shepherd. And also, man, there's something peaceful about releasing control. 
There's something so peaceful about saying, Jesus, you can do it better anyway. Are you guys with me tonight? He takes us into the pasture. And the second place that we find him tonight, just checking the time, sorry guys. (laughs) This iPad is impossible to see, okay. Um, The second place that we find him is he takes us from the pasture and then we find, we go into another location that's super interesting to me. In Psalms 23, Verse 3, he says this, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. David says, okay, we're in the pastures, and it's incredible. The first place God wants to take you is in a position of resting in his promises. Is a position of resting in his goodness. And then the very next place he says, hey, he takes, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And what's awesome about that, maybe we can read that and be like, oh, a path of righteousness. I'm not really sure what that means. But that, that word literally defines down to this. He leads me in right paths. Man, God has an ordained right path for your life. God has a way specifically for you. Somebody needs to be reminded of that tonight. Man, God has a craft, a handcrafted way. The Bible says that before you were ever um, known that he formed you in, in your mother's womb, that you're a God idea. And when you were born, he didn't just forget about you. But, man, he has right paths. And they're good. And they're incredible. And, man, when you walk in them, you live in a life that you never thought you could feel before. You live in a grace that you never thought you could feel before. He says he leads you in right paths. And then he says this, for his name's sake. What's awesome about that is that basically means for his glory. He leads you in right paths, but here's the second part of that. For his glory, what does that mean? This isn't just a one-way street following Jesus. What that means is Jesus takes pleasure in leading you into your calling. Jesus takes pleasure in leading you in right paths. That Jesus likes to lead you. Man, Jesus is is excited about leading you, that this isn't just a one-way, God, would you please do this? But God's like, man, my my son, my daughter, man, I want to do this for you. Man, I have a good plan. Man, the gospel is defined as good news. Sometimes we make it mediocre news or bad news, but, bro, the gospel is good news. It's good news that he loves you. It's good news that he stood in the way of the punishment we deserve so we can live in the bonus round of his grace and freedom. It's good news that we can have our marriages restored and our lives healed and every single um, wound be healed in the presence of God. That is good news. That is good news, man. I feel that tonight. That is good news. As Ryan comes up tonight, he says this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Man, when I was reading this verse, when I was reading this passage, I I was a little bit confused because I don't know if you noticed in the text, but the tone kind of changed. It starts with, okay, God, you love me, and you're incredible, and, and you make me lie down in green pastures. Man, I'm good with that. You leave me besides quiet waters, man, quiet waters, that sounds like vacation to me. I, I'm cool with that. You restore my soul. That's amazing, Jesus. You, you, you actually care about my soul. And then you lead me in right paths for your glory. So what you're telling me is now you're leading me into the calling and the destiny that you have for me. And then even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but God, I thought that you were leading me. 
wait a second, Jesus, I thought that you were leading me. But what David is saying is just because you're following Jesus, it doesn't exempt you from difficulties. See, uh, what I love about David is he is honest with his circumstances. You know what faith isn't? Faith isn't ignoring what's on fire. <laughs> how many people know a Christian who comes in and they're like, they're like, man, how are you doing? Man, I am doing good. I'm blessed. It's, and you're like, man, I just saw the tire fall off your car when you pulled in. And, man, that's incredible, and I'm not, uh, I'm not against speaking life and, and, and having faith and trusting Jesus, man, because I've seen God do so many things in my life. But David, for a minute, is saying, hey, man, I followed this really good shepherd. But then he acknowledges, man, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the next part that, that I think is so anointed and so powerful. It's a, he says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. See, David acknowledges his circumstances but he doesn't stop there because then he acknowledges his shepherd. And I think if we're honest tonight, at least for me, we spend so much time, we're really good at acknowledging our circumstances and having conversations with our circumstances, having conversations with the shadows in our life. You know, I've noticed even when I was preparing this message, um, I, I, was, I woke up that week and, um, and a lot of times I'll be like, I know that the Lord is giving the word to me first. Um, because how many people know if it doesn't move you, it's not going to move anybody. <laughs> and and he, he gave me this word. And I started realizing through the week how many times I was living in the shadow of just the worst case scenarios in so many areas of life. Like I would wake up in the morning and I would just start thinking about um, just negative things. And, man, I'd start having conversations with, well, this hasn't happened yet, or what if this hasn't happened yet? And what I think is so interesting about this passage is that uh, I've always read it as, uh, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. But the truth of the matter is there's a really important word there. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, a shadow implies it's not the real thing. A shadow implies that it's just a reflection of something else. See, if it was the valley of death, it would have been final. It would have been over. But David, interestingly enough, says, even if I walk through the valley of all these shadows of death, and I wonder if you have shadows of death in your life that are existing now. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody because you've had an argument with them before you've ever had an argument with them? You're <laughs> never, right? Yeah. Have you ever walked in a room and be like, man, I just know that person doesn't like me, so psh, I don't like that person. Have you ever just thought about the future and all you can think about is dread? Have you ever gone through hurt and pain and you start to paint a picture, not based on the shepherd who's in front of you, but based on your experiences who are behind you? But here's the amazing thing. God isn't defined by our experiences. God's not a feeling. He's a person. And if it's not good... It's not finished yet. I heard somebody say that this week. If it's not good, it's not done yet. Why? Because God is good and he's faithful. And David woke up for a second and he said, man, it's just a shadow. Have you ever had a conversation with a shadow? I mean, when I was a kid, um, I used to live in Riverhead. Shout out to Riverhood if anybody's in this place. But I used to live in Riverhead. 
Um, and at the time, um, we were living in this little house um, in, in Riverhead. It was this beautiful house, and, but um, I had to share a room with my two brothers. So the three of us were like cramped in, I mean, bunk beds every, everywhere. We had like pets in there. It was just like, it was a boy's room, okay? Uh, clo- like piles of clothing, um, ev- like it was a mess, you know? Um, it wasn't my parents' fault. We were just little savages. And so, and so I remember I used to, my brothers had a bunk bed, and I had the single bed because I was the alpha male in the room, older brother, okay? And um, I remember um, so many times I'd be sleeping, and uh, at, at night, we would keep the shades open in our room. Um, and, and there were so many times. I had such an imagination as a little boy in so many ways. Um, but I remember <laughs> waking up uh, a couple times and, like, seeing, like, a shadow on the wall. And how many people, like, as a kid, you were scared of the dark? How many grown people are still scared of the dark? Wow. No, I'm kidding. That's a real thing, yeah. Um, I'm not. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> but so I, as a kid, I, I remember seeing these shadows, and, man, I would just let my imagination run away. Like, I would think, like, oh, my gosh, that is the clown from It right there looking at me. And so I would build this exit strategy where I'm like, well, I know I'm faster than my two little brothers. And so if I could just get to the door, maybe wake them up and cause a distraction, man, I can, I can live through this crazy clown attack. Um, and I would hype myself up in such a crazy way. Um, but then there would always come a point where I would trace the shadow back to the source. And every single time, it was like a pile of dirty clothes or like my brother's lizard moving around, okay? Like, and, and every time I, I saw the source, man, man I, I would realize that I was having an argument with something that didn't even exist. And maybe you're here tonight and... And, and you've been living in the anxiety of things that haven't even happened yet based on things that have happened in your life. And every time you come into worship, you're like, man, I want to worship, but, but I remember that, that I remember that thing that happened, and now I see a shadow of what could be, and, and, and God's standing there. But here's, here's the funny thing about shadows, because David acknowledged what was really going on. Shadows can't exist without a presence of light. Shadows in our lives can't exist unless there's a presence of light. David says, even though, I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm acknowledging, man, it's this diagnosis. Maybe it's something. Here's the other thing that I'll say. What, what's so awesome about this, and maybe you're like it's somebody who's passed or it's something that feels so final, but this is the amazing thing about Jesus. When Jesus was, was crucified on the cross and he died and he was buried, he was raised to life, which means he took the keys from death. That with Jesus, it's not over. That death doesn't have the final word anymore because the good shepherd said, I will take those. Thank you very much. David says, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. For you are with me. In closing tonight, the last verse in this portion of Scripture, and I want to encourage you, um, if you're here tonight, maybe you're new to the Bible, um, one of the best things that I ever did when I was new to the Bible is I used to just find really simple Scriptures, and I would just write them down and put them everywhere. And I would just repeat them until I believed them. (laughs) 
man, Psalm 23 is such an incredible psalm. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But, but the, the ending portion right here tonight, David says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And then he says this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what's really interesting about the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff is that they're two different tools. So, and David knew this because he was a shepherd. And I think sometimes when we think about shepherds, we think that they were these girly men who wore dresses and like these big hair dress things. And maybe that's just me, but that's what I thought, you know. Like we think shepherds are just sort of like these like um, not, not really courageous people. But man, these shepherds, these shepherds were gangsters. These shepherds would literally have to fight bears and lions so they wouldn't eat the sheep. I'm going to tell you something tonight. If a lion came, I'd be like, you can have him, and you can have him, and you can ha- I'd take the rod and be pushing them toward the lion. But these shepherds were something different because the sheep were the most valuable thing to them. And what they would do is when a lion would come towards the sheep, the shepherd would stand in the gap, and say, so you want to get to these sheep, you have to go through this rod. And the rod was used to literally club the enemy. To kill the enemy. See, Jesus isn't just a God who says, go fight your battles. He says, go rest so I can fight your battles. Go trust me because my grace is sufficient for your weakness because my power is made perfect when you rest in me. Jesus says, I wonder how many of us are saying, no, God, I can take this. I can shake myself free of this. I, I can. And Jesus is saying, would you sit here and see how much I love you because I paid a price so that I could go before you and crush every bit of anxiety and depression and sleeplessness and insomnia. He's the God of freedom. He's the one who stands in the gap. And he, he uses this rod to club the enemy. But I think the reality is, that when we think about God, we think that the rod is used for us. That when we view Jesus as a shepherd, I think sometimes, at least for me, I think, man, I can't come to God because he's waiting to just stand there with the club and say, man, I know what you did uh, last night. I know what you did this week. And bow. And of course, we don't want to go to church. And of course, we don't want to be around the people of God. And maybe you've met Christians before that, and you felt treated that way. I want to tell you something. Man, Christians aren't perfect. Christians are people, but there is one who is perfect, and there is one who will never leave you or forsake you, and there's one who opened a door so you can come running because of his righteousness in your life. But see, there was a second tool that the shepherd used, and it was called a staff. And what was awesome about the staff is the staff looked similar to the rod, but there was actually a crook. Is that the right word? Hook. Thank you. Rhymed. Okay. There, there's a hook in the, in the staff. And see, the shepherd would use the staff. And this is when I was looking up what shepherds would use staffs for, because that's what you do when you're studying about this message. Um, he, he, the shepherd would use the staff um, to, to bring in timid sheep close to him. What's the heart of God? What's the compassionate heart of God towards you? Man, he sees your suffering. And he wants to bring you close to him. Because I want to tell you something tonight, church. Nobody loves you like Jesus. Nobody cares for you like Jesus. Man, people will fail you. Pastors will fail you. Churches will fail you. But Jesus will never fail you. 
it is always safe to come into the presence of God. Behind every no from the good shepherd is a yes for his glory. I've never said yes to surrender to Jesus once and regretted it. Not one time in my life. And I want to tell you something. Even when I've laid something down that, I, that, that has been difficult for me, I was immediately, I'm, I'm, I'm overflowed with peace and with joy. I don't always get the answer that I want, but I start realizing that, man, Jesus, you're the answer. You're the answer to my soul. You're the healing to my soul. You're the only one who can fill me. And in the middle of this place, Jesus, I, I want to know you as shepherd. Where I'm not supposed to sit down, God, where I'm not supposed to be, he says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Maybe you're here and you're surrounded um, tonight, man. There's something anointed about, about saying, Jesus, I know I'm surrounded, but I'm going to kneel where I'm not supposed to kneel. I'm going to worship where I'm not supposed to worship. I'm going to praise you where I'm not supposed to open up my mouth because you are the shepherd and you you are the Lord God, and I give you everything because you're better at it than me anyway. And he loves you more than you love you. Man, what would happen if we believed that? You can give it up for Jesus. Can you stand your feet with me tonight? And if you would just bow your head and close your eyes here tonight. If you are in this place... And you say, you know what, Ben? If you were to, if Jesus was to come up on the stage and stand next to you, I'm not sure that he would actually know me. Like, I know a lot about Jesus. And, and, and man, I've heard stories about him. And, and as somebody who grew up in church and knew a lot about Jesus, man, what changed for me is when I had a face-to-face -face encounter with God. When I just stopped playing games and I said, Jesus, if you are real, if you exist, I want to know you. If you're here tonight with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here, the Bible says that now is the time for salvation. The Bible says that anybody who, who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will be saved. And what happens next is, is something powerful. Jesus Jesus rushes in and makes your heart his home. And he fills you with peace, and he fills you with joy, and he gives you new hope and new life. So if you're here tonight, I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to lift your hands just for you. And we're going to pray together, and I'm believing God's going to do a miraculous thing in your, night, in your life tonight. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. You do it for you. Thank you. You do it for you tonight. Nobody looking around. If that's you, you say, Ben, I want to know Jesus tonight. Thank you. Hey, I want to pray a prayer. And if you feel comfortable, church, can you just repeat this prayer with me? It's not a magical prayer. It's just an invitation to the Holy Spirit to do a new thing in your life. So, Jesus, I give you my whole life. I give you my whole heart. Be Lord of my life. You are the good shepherd. Come and have your way in me. Come and do what only you can do. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Do a new thing in me, Jesus, I pray. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give it up for every single person who made that decision? Come on, there's a party in heaven. 
And hey, church, can we just lift our hands in this place? Jesus, we give you every single burden. Lord, we say that you are the good shepherd. And we just declare this night, God, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear one bit of evil because you are with me. You are with me. You are with me. Come on, church, and sing. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.